0: Honestly, I haven't seen all those movies. So, yeah, I've seen that one. I've seen Space Jam. That might be all I've seen. (laughs) What about, I've not seen that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so today we are in Philippians 3. Um, We're going to go through verses 1 through 11. And we're really going to walk kind of straight through it. Um, but first I wanted us to just talk about goals. This is kind of a thing like hashtag goals. I see, I see really, especially hashtag relationship goals a lot. Um, but hashtag goals, hashtag life goals. When I think of goals, I think of lots of things. Whenever I was in, um, play, attempted to play, kind of played lots of sports growing up, um, never great at it, but like to stick with it found a lot of identity in that, like being the girl that, you know, Ugh, with all the guys kind of thing, like, oh, I can beat you. That's like my identity for a while when I was younger. Maybe some of you guys can relate. Um, and so as I was growing, one of the things that I uh, I played was soccer. And I played it until like third or fourth grade. I didn't play it very long. But I only scored one goal, at least that I can remember, um, whenever I played soccer. And I remember it vividly because it was kind of the first time I felt kind of, this sounds depressing, but it's really not anymore. I promise I'm over it. Um, But I kind of felt bad about myself because um, I'm playing and we were, it was some recreational league and I was in like third grade, second grade and I scored and I was so pumped and I looked over and like the other team was all cheering for me and the parents were all kind of giggling. I had scored for the wrong team. So I am not um, good at that, but that is a goal, but that's not the kind of goal I'm talking about. Um, So whenever I was younger I had some life goals of mine. A lot of mine had to do with occupations. Maybe some of you guys know what you want to be. So maybe some of you guys don't know what you want to do with your life. Maybe that's an exhaustive question that you get tired of answering every time you go home to your home church. Um, but um, that is something people often ask, right? Like, what are you going to do next with your life? What, what's your goal? Um, what's your goal? What's your intended purpose with this relationship that you're in? What's your goal? Um, what's your end goal here? And so you have all these different goals. And so some of mine were, um, I wanted good grades um, in high school. I wanted to be a starting a starter on the basketball team in high school, and I never did. I never did get to do that. But I got to start on the JV team, so that was good. Um, Mm. Um, I wanted to uh be a mother and a wife. Those are two of my goals. I think growing up, probably like subconsciously, that was something that I always had floating around in my head and loved doing. Still love doing that. Um if any of you guys were to ever come to my house, it doesn't matter that you're adults. I would probably try to mother you at some level. Um I can't help it. I just love doing it. <coughs> For a while I, I would shift Um, and for some of you that know me this doesn't surprise you I would shift what I wanted to be pretty constantly Um, and so for a long time I loved to read and so I wanted to be a librarian and I would pretend to check books out I still like secretly love the sound of this I don't know why but whenever they just go on the thing, I just love that sound, and I used to pretend to do that, and then, like, put the pretend card in, I had, like, little slips of paper I put in all my books, and line them all up, and read to myself animals, so I wanted to be a librarian, um, we went on a family vacation to Texas, San Antonio, and we got to go see, um, SeaWorld, I don't know if you've ever been somewhere like that, but I got to see these, this person swimming with, um, like, uh, I don't know if they, I don't think they were dolphins. They were some other animal. But they got to do these tricks with them. They'd come out like on the nose of the things. Also. And so for a while, I really wanted to be that. And so I really wanted to go to the pool and pretend like I was a professional swimmer with animals. Um, for a while, um, a long while, I wanted to be an actress. Uh, I was, always had been told that I was very, had a lot of expression. And so I thought I could use that to my advantage and make a lot of money and become famous. Um, and then I also, for a long time, wanted to be a talk show host. Uh, I had people tell me that I was—they that I reminded them of Oprah. I hope in a good way. I don't. I'm not a big fan of Oprah now that I'm an adult. But um, there was this lady named Oprah, and she had this big, famous talk show. Uh, and I would watch it as just all growing up because I really wanted to be Oprah. I wanted to say, you know, she had this famous show once a year where she'd invite a bunch of people like teachers or something and then she would give them all of her favorite things and so she'd pick her favorite things she'd discovered because she's like a bazillionaire and um from the last year and she'd be like and you get a car and you get a car and I was like oh I'd love to do this you know this would be so fun have people and just you just have conversation on tv that's easy money man so I just thought I would love to do that so I have all these goals so My first question to you is a little bit like that, but I want you to talk amongst yourselves with the people around you. It should be a question at the top of your page. It says, what is your goal in life? Big question. What is your goal in life? If if that's a question that you're like, man, I don't even know if I've really thought about it. That's jumping off the deep end, Morgan. Maybe list some of your goals. What are some of the goals that you have in your life? Okay, but that's kind of the main thing I want to ask you. So go ahead and talk about that now with the people around you, and then write it out on your paper because I'm going to ask a couple of you to share. And I'm probably not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm just going to call on you because you're college students. You can get over it, right? There's like 20 of us in here. It's fine. Okay, so what is your goal in life? All right. Cut off. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Three. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. So, what are some of your goals? I need to know them. Anybody want to share? Buy a fire truck. Buy a fire truck. Buy a fire truck. Yes. Okay. Anyone you want to explain that at all, or? Fire trucks are cool. Okay. <laughs> Buy a fire truck. Okay. Our <laughs> fire truck. Two words. You better learn that if you're gonna buy one. Okay. Um, what else? Goal in life. Abby, what's one of your goals in life? Have a, Have a family. Okay, that's probably a big one. Anybody else say that? Show of hands? Yeah. Have a fam. Okay. <coughs> what else? Graduate college. Is that anybody else on anybody else's goals? Okay, okay, that's probably good. Graduate. What else? Anybody have like, okay, I may have done this wrong, or I went like a little deeper, and I was like, oh, I have this like this, is like a goal for my life, and this is like the goal. Anybody have one of those? Not really? Got it. Yeah. Be the person my mom thinks I could be. Okay, be the person my mom thinks I could be. See, that's what I mean by like hashtag goals hey, no, you're good, just go ahead and think about what's your goal in life, I'm just kidding, <laughs> okay, <clears throat> Um. so be the, the man my mom thinks I could be, um, that to me sounds like a quote that could be on Pinterest, and then literally say, hashtag goals, <laughs> be the man your mom thinks she can be, okay, what else, Rach, what do you got, Okay, influencer for Jesus. Okay. Alright, what else? Jared, what'd you say? Uh, to become more like Jesus. More like Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, gross. Okay. Anybody else? Up here, I don't know any of you lovely ladies. Name and goal. Okay. Right now looks like maybe medical we school, but if not, then something else. Okay. So Sadie is to find her purpose. She's going, Why? Well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm in college and people keep asking me. Find her purpose in life. Okay. <coughs> Hope? Glorify God. Glorify God. Well, we are in Sunday school. Fair enough. Wednesday night, Sunday school. Wednesday school. Go ahead. I think my goal would be to find joy in the Lord and my family in monotony. Okay, I'm not going to write all that. Okay. But can we remember that one? Find joy in the lo- monotony. in monotony. Okay, find joy in monotony. What did you say, Emma? It was basically just like in whatever I end up, just make disciples well. Yeah, make disciples. Yeah, it's a Sunday school answer, but it's a true answer, right? Kind of like what Jared was saying. Sure, it's a Sunday school answer, but it is true. Yeah, so today, um, what, we, what we're going to discover as we look at Philippians chapter 3, 1 through 11, is Paul is going to list out his goal, his life goal for us. It's probably going to be a Sunday school type answer. Um, he's also going to give us a list of his accomplishments. And so now, just for like a minute, um, this time I don't want you to discuss with the people around you, but I want you to think about what are the accomplishments that you have in your life. And I want you to write that on your paper, because we're going to reflect on that. And as I've been studying this, it's been, that's part of what's been convicting for me, was really reflecting on what I consider accomplishments in my life and what those are. Actually, for me. So think about what those are for you. If you struggle to know, like, what are the th- think about what are the things that you rejoice in, that you celebrate in your life. Those would probably be things that you consider accomplishments. If you have trouble, after that, maybe go to your Instagram or something like that and look at what you post the most of, and talk about and how your captions. If your captions reflect joy about those things or excitement or proud, that idea then that's probably one of the things that you would consider an accomplishment. So those are some of the things you can be thinking about. But got like a minute to list some of those things out. And I'm not going to ask you to share those things. I just want, that's just something I want you to be reflecting on. <clears throat> like I said, we're going to kind of see what Paul lists as his accomplishments and his goal in life. And truly... <laughs> Usually, whenever I speak, I I do like a sermonette type format, but this one was just very different. And as I read it and I studied it, um, I read through several commentaries, which are basically just books about, um, written by really wise people that have studied the original language and all that, that are about the text. And one of my favorites was this Spurgeon commentary. So if you're kind of, uh, if you like to read a lot, um, like I do, then I would recommend you buy this. I literally, thought the whole time I was reading it, this makes me want to read the whole book of Philippians and just read this alongside it. It was that easy to read. There are like a million things you could quote. I mean, seriously, a million things you could quote in there. So, um, it was really brilliant written. So, a lot of what I have to say are things that I I especially liked from this one. Um, But, what I, what I really felt convicted by was literally line by line of this text. I felt convicted as I studied it because I kind of went through and I'd have questions and I'd go and study um, like in concordances. What does this word actually mean? What is the context of this? And I just felt convicted over and over and over again. So we're just going to jump right in. Um, starting in <coughs> verse 1, it says this. It's, this is all about knowing Christ. Okay, chapter 3, 1 through 11. Paul writes this. In addition, my brothers and sisters, in addition to what he's already written, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. So right out of the gate, he gives us a command. And Paul does this um, a few times in this letter. It's a joyful letter. Um, He says, Rejoice in the Lord. It's not a question. It's not even really a challenge. It's just a command, like, do this. Rejoice in the Lord. And so this is kind of a big theme in Philippians. You may have talked about that already. If not, you certainly will as you continue. Um, But rejoice in the Lord. And not just rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord. This is the preposition, right? So this is where our rejoicing happens. And then Paul, as you're going to see, he's going to list his accomplishments, but what he's talking about is not really rejoicing in our accomplishments. He's talking about rejoicing in who, in who, in the Lord. Okay, so he's he's gonna say, don't no. As the, for the Christian, like our purpose in life is not just to rejoice in our family. It's not just to rejoice in our friendship. It's not just re- to rejoice in our degree. It's not to re- rejoice in passing the bar exam. Our our um, goal is to rejoice in the Lord. That's our goal. Um. A Christian should be a happy person, okay? Um, to rejoice, joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit. So it's something that we practice. I think last week Jim mentioned, right, do, do everything about complaining or grumbling, right? This idea of not complaining or arguing. That's cause, that should be a, a thing that Christians do, like generally speaking. They have a duty and a privilege and a responsibility to be joy-filled, to rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is the only thing that's not going to change, right? So our circumstances will change. Our friendships will change. Even the people in our life, like we're all dying at some level, okay? But the Lord stays the same. It's unbounded. The joy from him is unbounded and it's unchanging. And so we as Christian people rejoice in the Lord. I think that's really important. Um, The thing that Spurgeon said that I loved is he said this, joy should be the normal state of the Christian it is never out of season, and by grace, it is always possible. By grace, it is always possible. So I want you to think about your life. What is like the most challenging area of your life, or who is the most challenging person in your life? And would joy be something that um, comes out of that relationship, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the person you're engaging with? That's something I have to regularly do right now with my three-year-old. I'm a foster parent, and he's and nuts, and he—he's um, really cute. Everybody's always like, cute this little voice." And I'm like, Man, and "Like he does. He's a really cute voice." But when he's screaming, which he's been doing a lot lately because he's just really going through a lot of stuff, um, he's not so cute. And so I have to constantly tell myself, you know. How some teachers go like, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Have you ever been told to do this? It's a calming down technique. You're supposed to count to ten before you respond to someone when you feel angry. Well, I instead list the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I do. I sit there and I look at him sometimes. And literally, sometimes I just stare at him for a minute while he's losing his crap. I don't know how to say it. He's losing his mind. And I'll just sit there and be like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Yeah, I'm still not going to respond to you that way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Joy. Joy is one of them. It is a joy to care for him, regardless of his behavior. It is a joy um, to come here and speak to you, uh, regardless of whatever plans I had going on tonight. Joy. It's something that should characterize the Christian life. And then Paul, I love it. He even says, to write to you again about this, it's no trouble for me. And it's a safeguard for you. Well, the reason he's saying this is because there were people back then in Paul's day and age, and there are people now, who constantly want new ideas and new truths to come about. And so they're constantly searching for those things. But Paul says, no, I'm just going to tell you the same truth again. I'm just going to give it to you again because you know what? Like your memory, it's really slippery and you're just going to keep forgetting it. Just like our memories are really slippery and we're going to keep forgetting the things that we learn. And so we dwell on the truths that scripture has to say and we do it over and over and over again so that it becomes written on our hearts. And it's no trouble for the preacher and it's no trouble for the people listening it's a safeguard for us all. In fact, this is kind of just a little nugget, separate little nugget, but we talk a lot about this idea of repenting and believing or repenting and trusting It's kind of what I like to say, but repenting and believing. And that's all that repenting and believing is. Repenting is, is literally to change your mind about something constantly, changing your mind, changing your mind. So you, you probably have noticed that you have all these actions that you have in your life. And your thoughts and your feelings seem to constantly control your actions. And when people start talking about repenting and becoming a follower of Jesus, one of the first things they focus on is this. We need to stop doing this and start doing this. We need to stop doing this and start doing this. We need to stop doing this and start doing this. But what you'll discover as you grow in Christ is that you start evaluating these a lot and you start evaluating these a lot and that's all part of repenting. Like We want to take every thought we have captive. We want to take every feeling that we have captive, and we want to think about our feelings and think about our thoughts and think about our actions and believe, trust in the Lord. And everything that we need to know is here. He's given it to us already. We don't got to go out like it's hard to find. Like You guys all have a copy of it on your phone. And so all you got to do is open it up and read it, and you will read the same things over and over again. And if it ever gets boring to you, then something's wrong with you. Something's broken in you. Because this thing is is alive and active and this word is enough for us and this word is true and it's a safeguard for you and it's, it's no trouble for me ever to speak about it with one another. We do it over and over and over. So again, what is the truth he's going to continue to communicate in this letter? Rejoice in the Lord. And so maybe this week, maybe that's just the refrain. That's the truth you need to have over and over in your mind. Maybe you go to work tomorrow and something happens, and you need to tell yourself like I do with the fruit of the spirit. Maybe you need to say, "Rejoice in the Lord." Uh, maybe something happens with your family and you're really disappointed in something that your mom or your dad or your sister or your brother or your auntie does, and and what do you need to tell yourself? Oh yeah, rejoice in the Lord. Maybe you start comparing yourself to something that someone else has, a life circumstance someone else is receiving, and you need to say, "No, no, no, rejoice in the Lord." Maybe that's the truth that you need to continue to repeat. That you need to continue to repeat. So that's how he comes out of the gate. It's brilliant. I love it. I love how he does that. And then he's going to tell them to watch out for something. Let's go to the next one. <clears throat> next verse. He says, Watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Uh, upon the, my first reading of this, before I kind of dove into it, I kind of assumed that those would all just be the same person. He was just repeating himself three times. So I thought, well, might be important. Maybe I need to look into that. But he's actually talking about like th- three different groups of people here. Um, so if you're taking notes, you're welcome. You don't have to write this down, but I thought it was interesting um, I looked up, like, what does he mean when he says watch out for the dogs? Obviously, he's not talking about literal dogs, right? He's obviously not talking about literal dogs. Dogs are, have you ever heard, like, someone call a man, like, you dirty dog. Have you ever heard that phrase? Okay, so what that means when you call someone a dog, it's this idea of this, of this man of, of selfish spirit, um, this man that is contentious. That's just a fancy word that means that that's someone that's constantly looking to argue to get into an argument with someone else. It's a doggish person. He says, watch out for those people. That goes along, right, with what you learned last week. Do everything without what? Complaining and arguing, complaining and grumbling. In fact, watch out for those people. Those selfish, argumentative people. They're just dirty dogs, so watch out for them as you rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, watch out for who else? He says, watch out for the evil workers. And if you study that, what it's, t- what it's talking about is it's talking about people... Who have really clever speech that can kind of hook you, where you can go, "Oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense to me," but actually, they have a whole other motive underneath. Their life does not line up with Scripture. They are they're working against the Lord and His purposes. But their speech is really um, exciting to listen to, and their speech can can give you um, can sound really good at first. At first, um, here would be an example of that. I see this all the time. Um, I don't think a lot of people in my life are evil workers. I really don't. But I do think that, that a lot of, there's a lot of people in my life, even in like my own church, that don't think about the words they say, um, the descriptions they use, and the things that they are being sold uh, by society. And I'm talking grown people, not just junior high, high school. So I decided, okay... Surely I can come up with an example of this. So I got on Facebook. I know, even lots of you guys don't have it. Whatever. I know, it's old. Okay, I got on Facebook. Facebook, uh. Okay, so it was like the original. It's OG, social media, okay? And so I got on there, and I started looking through, like I said, these are people I respect in the faith, okay? And here are some of the phrases I, I would find. Um, I found a lot of people have been going on vacation lately. And so here are some of the things I hear them say this is my family. They are my world. Okay, I'm going to say it. This is my family. They are my world. When you hear that, what does that make you go? Oh, that's awesome. That is so sweet. Oh, I love that. uh. Oh, oh. that is so kind. What a good family they have. You know what I do? And maybe this is crazy. I know I'm a little legalistic, but I hear that and I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Jesus is your world. This family is a gift. Don't make them an idol. And now you're putting that on the whole Facebook for everybody to see. And your Facebook thing says Christ follower, and now what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. You sound just like the world. I get so angry about those things. But it happens all the time. Think about the captions you use when you describe the pictures that you post. Do we not naturally use, like, little phrases and taglines that we've heard in, like, our music or our pop culture um, or our own social media? We, we use these little phrases, and we don't even think about them. But all it is, is like work of the evil one. And it's just trying to get into our brains and all these little ways. Watch out for those people. Watch out for those sayings. And watch out for your friends. Like when you see friends that do that, say, mm, I had a friend, uh, one of my best friends in the whole world, just get married. Finding a song for them to dance to was, like, terrible because every love song she could find was, like, idol- speaking of idolatry about the person that they loved. And so she found one that she'd like, and she'd be like, isn't this a good song? And I'm like, uh, kind of, but, I mean, it sounds like they're just, like, worshiping each other. Oh, okay, yeah, we can't use that one. She'd bring me another one. Isn't this a good song? Oh, uh, yeah, kind of. Maybe I'm just overthinking this, but it sounds like you're worshiping that person. I mean, like, I just felt like we just have having this same conversation over and over and over and over again. But we have to. We have to be on guard as Christian people. And so maybe instead, maybe you just need to barely change some of the things that you say on your Facebook posts, on Instagram, whatever, okay? Snapchat. Maybe instead of saying, like, the table is the best, maybe we say, like, um, God is so good to gift me with this family of his. Slight change. Great different meaning, right? Gives a little more thought. So watch out for those people. Be and watch for that. And then another one, it says, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. It's kind of weird uh, if you don't know what that is, but that's really referring to, there was this big issue in the early church, and it revolved around the idea of circumcision. Um, so one of the rites of passage to be a member of the family of God, um, of, the Isra- of the nation of Israel, to convert to this faith is that you had to be circumcised. And actually, if you were like a Jew among Jews, you would have been circumcised on the eighth day after you were born. That's how it was custom for people. If you were what's called a proselyte, then what you would have been is maybe older in age and you converted to this faith, you would still need to become circumcised. And, and Paul says here, watch out for those people that are making others do this. Literally, in the Greek, he says, "Watch." he calls them the cutters. That's what he calls them. Watch out for those people, the cutters. And and we think, oh, because they're cutting parts of their body. No, actually, it's because in their holding so tight to these rites and tradition, that Jesus has now said these things no longer apply to those who are included in the household of faith. That is no longer what what applies. And so they are being divisive in the community. They are cutting it to pieces based on the law of Moses, certain pieces of the law of Moses that are now no, no longer um, valid in the community of faith. And he says, watch out for those people. Watch out for those people. <clears throat> and then he goes into what we are. And he says, for we are the circumcision, so not them, us. And he says, and then he explains what he means. Who is the circumcision? The ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. So he jumps from literally people that mutilate their flesh to belong to the family of God to people who put no confidence in the flesh but rely on the Spirit of God. Those are the people that are really the circumcised. Those are the people that are, he calls it the circumcision of the heart. Okay, so those are the people. And then he says this, and I love this. He says, but if you really want to go there, like fleshly status and accomplishments and people that held to the Mosaic law, let's talk about that. He says in verse four, although um, I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more than him. I have more than him. And then he gives kind of an exhaustive list of all of his accomplishments, so think about the accomplishments you guys listed. But now let's, let's listen to Paul's. He says, "Here, here is his accomplishment. Circumcised on the eighth day. Circumcised on the eighth day. Paul was circumcised on the precise day that was ordained by the Mosaic law, down to the letter of the law." Um, He wasn't circumcised late, like I said, as the proselytes were, but he also wasn't even circumcised like a month later due to illness or sickness or being unclean or someone in his family neglecting him. He was circumcised right when um, the law of Moses had said he should be on the eighth day. So he's saying, hey, here, add that to my accomplishments. Then he says, of the nation of Israel. So he was not converted to the Israelite faith later in life. He was born into it. Then he said, of the tribe of Benjamin. This is a big one. So if you don't know this, in the Old Testament, there's a, we talk about being the God being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then you get to Jacob, and Jacob wrestles with the Lord, and the Lord changes his name to Israel. And that's where we get the idea of the nation of Israel. And Jacob has 12 sons, and he kind of comes about that in a really um, awkward, like soap opera-ish way. Okay? Um, what happens is he says he wants to, he loves this woman named Rachel. He wants to marry her. Um, he works for her father in order to marry her. And then the father tricks him and gives him her sister, Leah. So then she has to, he, he has to work even more so, and finally he gets Rachel, so now he has Leah and Rachel, and in this shame honor society, bearing children was a big deal, and so they both want to bear children, they both kind of are going through this like jealousy and this awkward really it 's like a soap opera, and also in that day and age, your maid servant, um, the one that was kind of your right hand woman, um, they could be counted like if they had children with your husband, it could be counted as yours and so through these four women, Rachel and her maidservant and Leah and her maidservant, there were 12 sons. And they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And there were two sons in particular that were born to his beloved Rachel. And the first one was Joseph, and he saves the nation of Israel that you can read about in Genesis 32 to the end. And then there was this guy named Benjamin. And Benjamin, so he was a beloved of Jacob. That's, that's the descendant that's the line, the lineage from where Paul came. That's a big deal. And not only that, but whenever the kingdom split, ten tribes went to this area, the north, and then there was the southern kingdom, and it was Judah. Judah, from who, from the, that's the tribe that Jesus comes from. And guess what the tribe was that got paired off with Judah? Benjamin. Benjamin. And so everybody else fell to the Assyrians in 722 B.C., but Judah and Benjamin remained faithful to the Lord Um, for a longer time. um, There were good kings that were leading them, and they held on until 522 when they were attacked by the Babylonians. So being a descendant of Benjamin is is like the cream of the crop. It's a big deal. Of the tribe of Benjamin, I know exactly where I came from, he says. I am a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Benjamin. Right down the line. He says, I am a Hebrew born of Hebrews. It's like if you had the all-star team. He'd be the MVP of the all-star team. Um, He was the choicest person from a choice clan um, from the choicest nation. (laughs) Right? That's what Paul was. He was the very seed of Abraham, a Hebrew. It says, a Pharisee of the law. When we hear the word Pharisees, uh, knowing the New Testament, we might naturally think, oh, that's like those sneaky Pharisees. That's really sneaky. That's, that's, they're terrible. But actually, the Pharisees were really honored. Um, they knew every letter of the law, forward and backward. They meditated on it. They memorized it. They kept it. They were very, very disciplined people. And he says, I was that. I was a Pharisee regarding the law. I knew it. It was in me. I followed it down to the smallest tradition. I dotted my I's and crossed my T's. In fact, he says, regarding zeal, I was so zealous for the law that when Christianity rose through the sharing of the gospel, right, um, I thought that it started to, I thought it was opposing. It seemed to go against some of this Mosaic law that I had in me. And I was so zealous for this law of God that I went and tried to persecute the church. I was like kicking butt and taking names for God, Yahweh God, because I thought this was affronting to me. He said, I am, I, these are all of my accomplishments. He said, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Blameless. Now, there's another part passage in Scripture where he says he's the chief sinners, but, and in one sense, Paul is a, a chief among sinners. But in another real sense, Paul had been kept from a lot of the vices that others struggled with when he was a young person. It's kind of like maybe you, if you were born into a really strong family of the Lord, you were probably kept from a lot of the wanderings that could have taken place just because your family had that instilled in you. They put boundaries in place for you. He was kept from a lot of that. He had been pure. And to the best of his will, as far as we know, Paul did the best to keep the law. So if there was anyone that could be saved by their works, it would have been Paul. It would have been Paul. He just listed it all out there for us. It would have been Paul. If birth, education, or external righteousness could have saved anyone in the world, it would have saved Saul of Tarsus. And here's the big but in the text, right? Okay, verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. If you have your Bible, you should probably underline that. It's beautiful. But everything that was a gain to me, I consider loss because of Christ. He's going to repeat this three times. It's super important. He lists all of these accomplishments and then he says, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. I have considered. He says, have considered. What has he considered? He has considered all these accomplishments he just listed and he said, that's all garbage. That's all a loss. Because of Christ. That's what he says. And then he says this. More than that, I also consider. So he has considered, but now he also considers. This is present tense. So he has considered, past tense. He present considers it all a loss. At the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Listen to how he says it. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So, I have considered all these accomplishments at loss because of Christ. I consider, continue to consider, even though now I've been a follower of Jesus for 20-something years, I still consider it to be a loss, everything prior to Christ, compared to to knowing Christ, knowing Him. It's a loss compared to knowing him. And then he says again, he says, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. If you Think about the things that Paul actually suffered. Things we can't imagine. I mean, shipwrecks, imprisonment, beatings. Uh, he was kicked out, I'm sure, of a lot of circles. Slandered. Okay, Paul's been through the ringer. And he said, I have suffered of a lot of these things. And he said, but I consider them as dung. So that I may gain Christ. So then he thinks about his sufferings, all the things he's given up, all of his losses. I don't know if losses is actually, we'll do like that. I don't know. All of his losses. And he says, they're just basically crap. If only I may gain Christ. have considered and it's all just a loss because of Christ I also consider my accomplishments and I consider them a loss if only I could know Christ more I consider all the things I've suffered all the things I've lost and guess what I consider it just a bunch of crap if only I may have Christ essentially what's happening here is have you ever heard of this thing called a ledger Anybody know what that means, like a ledger? What a ledger is, is it's like for a business. What you would write is you would write your profits and your losses. And so whoever was like the accountant, they would have this business ledger, and they would have their profits, losses, I think it's losses, um, so we can call them gains or whatever. He said, I considered all these things profits. I considered being circumcised on the eighth day, an advantage for me. I considered being born into the nation of Israel an advantage to me to inherit the kingdom of God. I considered this and this and this and this an advantage to me. He said, but now I have erased all these things because I met Christ. And whenever I came to know Christ, all these things had to be moved to this side. And there's only one thing over here that outweighs it all, and it is Christ. It is Christ. And so I want you, really quick, look down at your list again. All of your accomplishments Think about your goal again. All of your accomplishments. Like for me, what that would look like in a practical sense was I was born into a believing family. And that's a blessing. That's something I I would never, I don't want to take that for granted. I would never call it anything but a blessing. (laughs) But that doesn't save me. It really doesn't save me. It doesn't make me better than another Christian. It doesn't like give me bonus points with the Lord. Like, I consider it a loss if only I may have Christ. I graduated. Woo! Like some of your goals. I graduated from college. Guess what? Means nothing eternally. It really doesn't. I mean, think about it. It can't. I, may, I know you're just like, well, like, don't say that. My mom's not going to like me. Well, then, sorry. Like, it's true. It's just true. So it really doesn't matter eternally. people have told me that they think I'm a gifted communicator and I used to put a lot more weight in that than I do now and then the more I thought about it the more I'm like "All right, well the Lord's gonna do what the Lord's gonna do he's either gonna speak through me or he is it doesn't matter if I say all the most clever things in the world he may not use me so whatever he wants to do it's a loss if only I can have Christ if only I can have Christ being a mother or a friend or a minister (laughs) owning a fire truck (laughs) owning a home Getting married, bearing children, having your father walk you down the aisle or not. I just consider all these things a loss. If only I may have Christ. He is more than enough. It's like if you had a scale. I, didn't, I couldn't find one, but if you had a scale and you would write down your accomplishments, each on a rock, and you put them on this side, and then you put this rock on this side that says Christ, it would just outweigh them all. It was just topsy turvy, all of it. In fact, that's kind of how Paul writes in another letter, a letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this in verse 17 For our momentary light affliction, the suffering, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Like when I look at it, it's nothing compared to christ so i want to ask you this question and i'd like you to write it down and i'd like you to reflect on it uh maybe later tonight how many things good things even how many things in your life so in my life say in my life tempt me to trust in something less than christ Everything Paul listed were things he put um, if you were going to put all your eggs in one basket that's where he was going. An accomplishment after accomplishment. How many things in our lives tempt us to trust in something less than Christ? It's actually not even it's not possible for us to be um to gain righteousness on our own. Like it it has to be in Christ. It has to be in Christ. Um so this guy Spurgeon. I like how he says this. And so I'm going to read you this little illustration he he uses. It's not very long. He says, here there are multiple ways of knowing a porcelain factory in France. He said, "Did you ever visit the manufactory of the splendid porcelain at Sèvres, France? Anybody know?" Got to call it Sèvres. Sèvres, France. Anybody ever been there? Anybody ever visited that factory? Nobody. Okay. So what it does is it makes these I looked it up, it makes these beautiful porcelain tiles and it makes this beautiful porcelain art, okay? And he goes there. So, Spurgeon says, "I have actually gone there. I have done so." And if anybody should say to me, hey, do you know that manufactory at Severus? I would say, yes, I do, and no, I don't. For I have seen the building, I have seen the rooms in which the articles are are for sale, I have seen the museum and the model room, but I don't know the factory like I would like to know the factory. I haven't seen the process of the tiles being made, and I've not been admitted into the workshops, as some other people are. And then he says, but let's pretend like I had seen the process of molding the clay and laying on the rich designs. So then if someone says to me, do you know how they manufacture those wonderful articles? I should very likely still be compelled to say no. Not because I, no, I do not, because there are certain secrets, certain private rooms into which neither friend nor foe can be admitted or else the process would be open to the whole world. So no matter how much I want to know it, I can't know it fully, is essentially what he's saying. So you see, I might say I knew, and yet might not half know. And when I half knew, still there would be so much left that I might be compelled to say I do not know any. And then here's the marvelous last last thing he says. How many different ways there are of knowing a person? And even so, there are all these different ways of knowing Christ. You may keep on all your lifetime, still wishing to get into another room and another room and another room, nearer and nearer and nearer to the great secret, still panting to know him. Think about your relationship with Christ. Is that how you see him? Would you have, have you considered everything lost because of Christ? That's called like conversion, Do you also still consider everything a loss compared with the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ? Anything that it may cost you, is it not just crap if only you may gain Christ? Does it not really matter the things that you're going to go through if only you may gain Christ in the end? And then he says this, my goal is to know him. There's Paul's goal. You should probably underline that as well. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from the dead. He's pointing to eternity. He's ending with eternity. My goal in life is just Christ alone. So another question you should probably consider is have you considered all things a loss for the sake of Christ? Like, really, you really have to, like, spend... It's easy to say, oh, yeah, for sure I have. But, I mean, really think about the things that maybe you're not happy about, that you don't rejoice, find easy to rejoice in. Do you really consider all these things a loss because of Christ? I know some people in Owasso um, who... By every look of their lives and way they behave and live, I do not know the Lord. They don't. But they really, they really do believe like they're good. They believe if people are going to heaven, they're in. Because they live really good lives. They're like noble in character. They grew up in the Midwest. Um, they share with people. They have everything they could need. They've met all their life goals. They're like, I don't have any reason not to go to heaven. I've never done anything wrong. There are people who believe that. It's just not true. It's not true. And so I don't think any of you guys are that person, right? I mean, you wouldn't be here if you're like, don't give a rip about Jesus. Surely you at least want are curious to know something. And maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. And this is, this is what gets me. This is what I've been thinking about a lot lately maybe after you follow jesus for a while you just find yourself sometimes beginning to trust in things other than jesus that have happened to you since following jesus like sometimes more than trusting that that i am found in christ and made righteous in christ i can think i am found in christ because i know i've grown in christ does that make sense or because of my knowledge of scripture or because of the way I I attend church faithfully, because I have great godly friends. And yet all of those things, even though they're good, they're nothing. If I can just have Christ, if I can just have Christ, he is enough. Um, My uh, grandfather, my papa, his name is Charlie Greer, he growing up uh, was not in a believing home. He had a still, well, He's not here anymore, but his his brother and his sister still live. And his sister uh, kind of did okay in life. His brother struggled. My papa struggled. Um, Their mom and dad, their mother was faithful, loved the Lord. Um, Their dad, not so much. And their dad learned um, and uh, went into the war. And he learned kind of how to kill people and like some things like that. And it kind of screwed him up a lot. And then he didn't actually go to war and he they sent him home. But it kind of like made him this angry man. And so my, gran, my grandpa, my papa, he grew up kind of in an abusive situation. Um, him and his brother especially, not really his sister. And when he got older, my papa was pretty good at baseball. It's so funny, but he was. Same thing that we, we would be proud of now, but... Yep. Also way back then, he was pretty good at baseball. and he, he grew up in Muskogee and he was playing baseball and he was kind of in and out of going from Muskogee to Tulsa trying to decide what he wanted to do with his life and he could probably do something that had to do with baseball. He also was pretty into architecture. He thought maybe that was something he could do but he was pretty gifted with baseball and so he was playing at one point baseball and he was smoking a cigarette Uh, because you could do that when you played baseball back then. And so he was, like, smoking the cig and rounding balls, you know, whatever, and um, picked it up, and he threw the ball, and the smoke was in his eyes, and he threw it, and he hit someone right in their head, and they dropped, and they went to the hospital. They almost died, and it freaked him out. It really freaked him out, and he stopped smoking, and that's not the moral of the story. Whatever. If you smoke, (laughs) it's not a sin. You're just going to die younger, so it's going to happen. But that's so that is kind of kind of something that really sh- shook him. And he didn't know what to do with that. But there's this man by the name of Mr. Whitaker in Muskogee, Oklahoma, who shared Christ with my papa. And he said, I not only think that you should follow the Lord and belong to him, I think you should give your life to doing ministry for him. Like, I think you should be a preacher. Paul was like, what? <laughs> so I do, I think that you should do that. And so my papa did. Like, there's not some, like, he, doesn't talk, he didn't ever talk about like wrestling with the decision. He was just kind of like, okay, I guess I'll do that. And so he ended up going to Ozark Bible College. Um, he met my grandmother, Judy Cannell, who grew up in a believing home, <laughs> who had a lot of the other accomplishments you might consider. And he was still trying to work this whole thing out. But he kind of struggled with anger, my papa did, um, because of things that had happened to him as a child. And he struggled with it as a father. He struggled with it as a husband. Um, but he just—he just, his goal in life was that he wanted to live in such a way that he only could live, that he just needed Jesus, that Christ was enough. And he would have this refrain, he would preach, and every time he preached a sermon, he would start with a joke, some silly little joke, and then he would say, as he turned to the text for the morning, he'd say, church, more than anything else in the world, I would that you love my Jesus. More than anything else I could ever desire for you, I would that you love my Jesus. And he didn't know how to help his kids do that. He did, he had the goal in mind. That was his life goal. Um, my nana had the means because <laughs> she had known Jesus for a lot longer. And so she displayed a lot more of the fruit of the spirit, I would say. But, Um, He continued to grow in the Lord. She came alongside him. All five of their children know Jesus. And that was his goal. More than anything else in the world, I would that you love my Jesus. And my papa passed away about 12 years ago. And on his gravestone, my nana has not joined him yet, but she will at some point. And so on their gravestone, it says, more than anything else in the world, we would that you love our Jesus. He understood this. My papa understood this. He would tell you everything else in his life is crap compared to Christ, compared to knowing Christ, everything. He understands that. And so what do you wish for people in your life? What do you wish for your friends? What do you wish for your parents? What do you wish for me, for my children? Do I just wish that my kid would, like, shape up? And be a good, like, someone that just contributes to society? No, not really, actually. Do I just really hope my son comes home and then graduates from college? Actually not. Although I think that's wonderful. (laughs) That's great that you want to do that. But if he doesn't have Christ, it really doesn't matter. He's going to hell. Like, Christ is the only one who saves us. He is more than enough. He has given us every spiritual blessing we could ever imagine that we can find in him. We can't find it in our own works. And so I want to live every day of my life clinging to this truth. And I think it's worth repeating and repeating and repeating. And you know what I think comes out of this? Is I think that we all end up rejoicing in the Lord. It's like a full circle. And then we rejoice in the Lord. And I can easily tell you when when this is screwed up for me because I end up not rejoicing in the Lord. And and I'm not feeling very joyful and I'm not finding a lot of joy in the Lord and this is usually what's happening is I'm starting to get these switched up again. And these aren't where I'd like them to be and I have to recalculate again and again and again what it is to know Christ and that it's worth it to follow him. And so I would would just challenge you um, to think a little more about your goal in life Really, think about it. Think about the ambitions you have. Think about the things you want to do with your money, with your relationships. Are they to honor the Lord? If everything was stripped from you, but you had Christ, is that enough for you? I think we would hope it would be yes. I feel like 99% certain I could say that for all of us in this room, the answer would probably be no. And that is where we need to repent, right? We need to repent and repeat this truth to ourselves again and again and again. So that's all I have. I'm not going to pray because Alec did that at the beginning. So um, you guys can either do some of those questions you have at the end or you can talk through those couple of questions that I gave you. And then, is that kind of how you usually end it? Okay. All right. So we'll do that for about, I don't know, five minutes or so. Okay. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you.